Chapter Seven of Half Past Bedtime by H. H. Bashford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: The Imaginary Boy. Soon after Doris's adventure with the flute, Marion and Gwendolen made a most solemn vow. Marion pricked her finger with a needle and made a tiny drop of blood come and then she rubbed it into the palm of Gwendolen's hand, and promised to be faithful to her for ever. Then Gwendolen pricked her own finger and rubbed it into the palm of Marion's hand, and took her dying oath that Marion should always be her greatest friend. Then they washed their hands under the nursery tap, and cleaned the needle and put it back in the work-box, and Marion was very pleased, and so was Gwendolen, and when they told Cuthbert he said that he didn't mind much. Marion was pleased, because she knew that Gwendolen would ask her to tea pretty often at the old farmhouse, and Gwendolen was pleased, because that was the first time that she had ever had a greatest friend. And Cuthbert didn't mind much, because he had gone to a new school, where there was a boy called Edward Goldsmith, who was wonderfully strong, and could dive into the water backward from the top diving board at the town baths. He was going to be a barrister like Mr. Jenkins, who took the plate round at St. Peter's Church, and after that he was going to be Lord Chief Justice, like the great Lord Barrington at Fairbarrow Park. Gwendolen's aunt was pleased, too, and so was Captain Jeremy, when Gwendolen told him, and so were her father and mother, who were climbing the Himalaya Mountains and writing a book called Two Above the Snow Line. But Gwendolen didn't know, of course, about her father and mother being glad, till she got a letter from them, and by then she had become quite used to having Marion for her greatest friend. This letter came during the first week of the holidays, while Marion was staying for a few days with Gwendolen. Both Gwendolen's aunt and Captain Jeremy were away on a short voyage, and Marion and Gwendolen had the house to themselves, except for Mrs. Robertson, the cook, Amy and Agnes, the two maids, and Percy, the boot and garden boy. Percy was the boy that used to open the door when Gwendolen's aunt lived in Bellington Square, and his father was a gamekeeper called Mr. Williams, who worked for Lord Barrington at Fairbarrow Park. Percy was sixteen, and was going to marry Agnes as soon as he had saved enough money, and though he was rather proud, Marion and Gwendolen liked him, but not so much as they liked his father. They liked Mr. Williams because he knew all about rabbits, and used to take them through places marked private. And they liked Mrs. Williams because she gave them peppermints, and never minded how many questions they asked. Mr. Williams was tall, with a gray mustache, and his clothes smelt of tobacco, and he wore garters. And Mrs. Williams was short, and her arms smelt of soap and she was always popping upstairs to change her apron. They lived in a little cottage near the park gates, and they had six children besides Percy, but Mr. Williams was nearly always out, setting traps or counting the young partridges. Fairbarrow Park was about three miles round, and was halfway to Fairbarrow Down, and in the middle of it was Lord Barrington's house, with its thirty bedrooms and all its gardens. There was an Italian garden, and a Dutch garden, and a rose garden, and a water garden, and there were lawns as smooth as a ballroom floor, over which the peacocks cried and strutted. But besides all these, 
and the park in which they nestled, most of the country round belonged to Lord Barrington, and it was in the woods and fields which he let to different farmers that the pheasants and partridges made their homes. When they had finished reading Gwendolen's letter, which came just after their middle-day dinner, Marion and Gwendolen thought that they would go and see Mr. Williams and watch the young partridges that he was bringing up by hand. So they set off, and presently they found him just at the farther edge of Lord Barrington's estate, where there was a little wood climbing up the side of Fairbarrow Down. There was a sort of grassy hollow near the wood, and here Mr. Williams had placed half a dozen hen-coops, and in front of these he had built a little mound made of lumps of turf dug from the down. In among these lumps of turf there were thousands of ants, and several ants' nests full of eggs, and a score of young partridges were scrambling over them, finding their afternoon meal. Usually Mr. Williams was glad to see the girls and let them play with the young partridges, but this afternoon he only nodded to them and went on smoking in silence. They were a little surprised, because it was such a lovely afternoon, with the sky bluer than any ocean, and the fields all glittering with the leaves of the root-crops, or hidden away under the golden wheat. Here and there the reapers were already at work cutting the first of the oats and barley, and about a mile away they could see the chimneys of the great house shining in groups between the treetops. The only dark spot was the thick and tangled pine-wood, known as the Haunted Wood, into which Lord Barrington never allowed anybody beside himself to go. It was inside the park, and round two sides of it ran the park wall, with sharp iron spikes at the top, and round the other two sides there was a barbed-wire fence, with a small gate in it, heavily padlocked. For twenty years it had never been touched. When a tree fell over it lay where it had fallen. Between the trunks of the other trees there had grown a jungle of undergrowth, and only Lord Barrington had the key to the gate. Mr. Williams was still sitting down, staring moodily in front of him, when Marion asked him what was the matter, and was he angry with them for coming? "'No, no, it's not that,' he said. Uh, "'But I've just got the push. His lordship has given me a month's notice. I've got to quit and find a new job, after forty-two years here, man and boy.' Marion and Gwendolen stared at him in astonishment. "'Why, whatever have you been doing?' Gwendolen asked. He took his pipe from his mouth and pointed at the haunted wood. "'See that wood there?' he said. "'The haunted wood? Well, last night one of these here dogs, he bolted into it, and I couldn't get him out, so I went in to hunt for him. I was only in there for five minutes, but just as I was coming out I met his lordship.' He stared at me as if I was a criminal in the dock, and gave me a month's notice to leave his service. "'You know my rules,' he said, "'and you've broken them. It's no good arguing,' he says. "'You've got to go.' Marion and Gwendolen felt very angry, angrier than they had ever felt before. "'What a beast!' they said. "'But perhaps he'll think better of it.' Mr. Williams shook his head. "'Not he,' he said. "'I've seen him this morning.' I'll give you a pension, he says, and I'll give you a good character. But that wood's forbidden ground, he says, and I'll have nobody going into it. Mr. William rose and began to collect the young partridges and put them away into the various hen-coops. 
"'Well, I must be getting along,' he said, "'and next month you'll have to make friends with the new keeper.' After he was gone, Marion and Gwendolen sat thinking of all the good times that they had had with him, and of poor Mrs. Williams, who would have to turn out of her cottage, the gay little cottage that she was so proud of. Their cheeks were quite red, and there was a hot sort of prickly feeling at the backs of their noses and they felt as if they would like to go to the great house and shoot Lord Barrington dead. "'Dog in the manger,' said Gwendolen. "'That's what he is, with that great big house and no wife or children. And he's always going into his old wood himself. I know he is, because Percy told me.' "'Yes, I know,' said Marion. "'And half his time he never lives at the park at all. He's judging people and sending them to prison.' are traveling about and enjoying himself. Perhaps he doesn't know, said Gwendolen, what a nice man Mr. Williams really is. Then she suddenly thought of something. Suppose we go and find him, she said, and ask him to let Mr. Williams off. Marion was a little frightened. She had never seen Lord Barrington, but she had once seen his picture in a magazine, and she remembered the grim look in his eyes and his high-bridged hawk-like nose, but the thought of Mr. Williams and his sad face soon gave her fresh courage, and as soon as they drew near the park wall she was much too excited to feel afraid. Gwendolen was excited too, but they both knew how important it was to keep cool, and before they climbed the wall they looked carefully round to see that nobody was watching them. Then they found a couple of niches to put their toes in, and they hoisted themselves up till they could see over the wall, and there they stopped for a moment, holding on to the spikes and studying the lie of the land. Just to their right was the corner of the haunted wood, but spreading in front of them was the open parkland, with its great trees casting their blue shadows, and the delicate-limbed deer nibbling the grass-tips. Beyond these were the gardens, and the broad terrace in front of the house, and the only person in sight was a distant gardener with a watering-can. Then they almost fell down, for round the corner of the wood came the tall figure of Lord Barrington himself. Marion recognized him at once, though he was not wearing a wig, as he had been in the magazine picture, and was dressed in a grey flannel suit, carefully pressed, and russet brown boots. Luckily he didn't see them, and they crouched behind the wall, holding on to the edge with their fingertips, and when they next peeped over they could see him unlocking the padlock of the little gate that led into the wood. He went inside and locked it again behind him, and they saw him begin to push his way through the branches of the trees. "'Come along,' whispered Gwendolen. "'Let's follow him.' So they climbed over the wall and dropped into the park. Then they ran across the grass to the little gate, where they stooped down for a moment and listened. They could hear Lord Barrington still moving through the wood, and then, very quietly, they squeezed through the fence. They both tore their frocks on the barbed wire, and Marion scratched her arm, but she didn't mind, and then they began to glide as softly as possible deeper and deeper into the forbidden wood. Soon it was so dark owing to the thick spreading branches and the overgrown weeds and bushes, that they found themselves creeping through a sort of twilight, smelling of pine resin and crushed herbage. But always, just in front of them, they could hear Lord Barrington's footsteps, 
and sometimes they caught a glimpse of his side or back. Tripping over roots and stung by nettles, they followed in the track that he had beaten down, and presently the brushwood began to grow thinner and the trunks of the trees farther apart. He was walking more quickly now, and in another three or four minutes they saw him come out into a sort of clearing, where the ground was smooth with a thin growth of grass, and the sun pouring down upon it as upon a little circus. Here he stopped, and they bent down each behind the trunk of a great pine-tree, and then, to their surprise, they saw him take his coat off, and fold it carefully and put it on the ground. Then from under a bush he drew out three wickets, and set them up on the other side of the clearing, and put the bales on them, and laid down a bat beside them, and came back tossing a cricket-ball. They could see his face still rather stern-looking, but not so stern as it had been before, and then they heard him say, Ready? and saw him bowl the ball, which bounced over the wickets and hit a tree behind. They crept nearer, until they were almost on the edge of the clearing. "'You ought to have stopped that one,' they heard him say, and still the bat lay in front of the wickets, and there wasn't a sound but the murmur of the trees. For a long time, almost ten minutes, they thought, he went on bowling and fetching back the ball, and every now and then he spoke a few words, as if there were somebody really batting. And then a strange thing happened, for slowly, as they watched, they saw the bat rise from the ground, and then they saw the figure of a little boy taking guard with it in front of the wickets. He was about fourteen, with short fair hair, and he was dressed in a flannel shirt and trousers, and the shirt was unbuttoned, showing the upper part of his chest and its sleeves were rolled back over his sturdy arms. They looked at the judge, and saw that his whole face had altered, as if the sun had come down and were shining through it, and the boy smiled at him, and then tucked his lips in, as the judge bowled him a difficult ball. "'Well played,' said the judge, and they saw the boy look up and begin to color a little at the words of praise, and then Gwendolen got a cramp in her foot and couldn't help moving and making a sound. Lord Barrington turned sharply toward her. "'Who's there?' he asked in a terrible voice. Gwendolen stood up, and so did Marion. It was no good hiding. They were both too frightened to speak. When he saw them, he stood quite still. A wood-pigeon flew across the clearing. The little boy was no longer there. "'Come here,' he said, and they had to obey him. He stood looking at them, his face was like marble, and his eyes searched them through and through. "'Well,' he said, "'what have you got to say for yourselves?' They hung their heads and said nothing. Then Marion tried to speak, though her voice sounded funny. "'Please, sir,' she said, "'we wanted to ask you something, but you were playing with the boy.' "'The boy?' he said. "'Did you see the boy?' They lifted their eyes to him. "'Why, of course,' they answered. For a moment he was silent, then his voice changed a little. "'Come and sit down,' he said, "'and tell me what you saw.' When they told him, he just nodded and sat, as Mr. Williams had done, staring in front of him. "'Well, now you know,' he said, "'why this wood is private, and why I never allow anybody to come into it.' "'Because of the boy?' asked Marion. "'Because of the boy,' he said. I'll try to explain it to you, but I doubt if you'll understand. 
You see, I had a notion that if we human beings could only imagine anything hard enough, the thing that we imagined might become actually real, if only just for a minute or two. He moved his hand with its heavy gold signet ring. This is the place, he said, where I come to imagine. I see, said Marion. But why do you imagine the boy? He reached for his coat and took something out of a pocketbook. This is his photograph, he said. He was my only son. The two children looked at it, and they gave it back to him. He was fond of cricket, he said. He died at school. Then he rose to his feet, and they followed him out of the wood. Well, what was it, he said, that you wanted to ask me? They told him, and his face became stern again. But he knew the rule, he said, and he was older than you, and rules are made to be kept, you know. I can't have them broken. They were silent for a moment, and then Gwendolen had an awful and rather irreverent idea. But perhaps if God hadn't broken one of his rules, she said, you might never have seen the boy. He stood looking at her for a long time, or at least it seemed long, though it was only twelve seconds. Then he glanced at his watch. What are your names? he asked. They told him their names, and he held out his hand. Well, good-bye, Marion, and Gwendolen, he said, and you can tell Mr. Williams that I've changed my mind. Deep within the wood I know there's a place where mourners go, just as in the twilight cool crept they to Siloam's pool. There with one accord they bring sorrows for a healing wing, and each hushed and stooping leaf lays its hand on their heart's grief. End of chapter 7